Hello everybody, welcome back to another episode of the Macaulay Tucker Show. I'm your host Macaulay Tucker and today we've got a very special guest, Ray. Ray is an actor who's played the Axeman in the Resident Evil series. And he also worked in Pixels and in Suicide Squad. He is a Nigerian-Canadian boxer and has held the Canadian Heavyweight Championship status for many years. I think you'll really enjoy this episode and you guys have a good one. And I wanted to kind of ask you about heavyweight boxing. Why this? Why did this interest you? Was this something that you were interested in at a, a younger age? Or was it something that you got um, interested in when you were older? Um, actually, the my uh, chronological line actually goes in the way of I, I've been an athlete since I was five years of age. I started off doing track and field. Uh, then went into uh, volleyball, badminton, basketball. Boxing was a sport I took on actually rather rather late by comparison to everybody else, all my peers. But um, but uh, yeah, I was like 22 years old when I stepped into the, the first boxing gym. But I'd already been in film since I was 18. Um, yeah, uh, boxing was taken up because I didn't qualify for the Olympics in 92. So I had a hissy fit and I said, I'm leaving track and this, that, and the next thing. Come November of 92, it was the first time in, uh, as long as I can remember, that I didn't have an athletic goal to chase. And I was just, I was a little bit lost, so my roommate at the time said, um, why don't you come try some boxing with me? I said, sure. I walked into the gym, and I met the coach, and pretty much on site, he said, I'd like to compete. I said, sure, and the rest has been history. That's really beautiful to hear. You mentioned a lot about when you were younger, you were involved in uh, different types of sports. I, I heard you mention track and field and you know volleyball. Um, and one thing I didn't know, you said you started film at 18. Um, what exactly did, did that look like? Did this involve commercials? Um, I don't know if you could explain that to me a bit more. Um, I was in high school and uh, a girlfriend of mine, um, she made the suggestion that my friend and I should get into acting. He thought She thought that we'd do really well. Um, she was in acting. She was, well, sorry, she was a model, actually. And um, so she made the suggestion and uh, hooked us up with a background casting agent. So we're just doing background. And it was, I didn't take it seriously. It was just like fun. We got to see each other, see yourself on television. And it was like, okay, that's cool. But it was background. Unbeknownst to me, <clears throat> There were multitudes of times where I could have been upgraded. I should have been upgraded to an actual actor role, but one, my naivete, and just just young. Yeah, I guess I was just naive. Um, I wasn't even looking. I wasn't even thinking from the business standpoint. I was thinking. I was just having fun. So. What ends up happening is like I remember a show 
where I came on. It was called Men's. And uh, the storyline was these two guys, they were high school superstars, uh, sorry, college superstars. And then the war broke out. The, the, the first Gulf War broke out. So they went into the army and then they came back from war and they start tried to make the basketball team. But all of a sudden, all the ball players were a lot bigger now. All the kids were so much taller. So I was one of three guys. Um, this is when I met Ving Rams for the first time. And um, we were playing, and the scene was we passed the ball, passed the ball, the three of us passed the ball between, between the three of us, and then one of us goes off, dunks the ball, and then the ref blows a whistle, 15, 20 guys line up on the the baseline and then he calls out the roster for the team now they had given each and of oh well like a selection of us names my name was wolf okay by the fact that i had gotten a name that means that i would get credits and if i got credits i was an actor did not know that but that's one two they called me so when they called me, everyone starts yelling, wolf, 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 whatever. And I walk up, and what you're supposed to do is you're supposed to run up to the coach, grab your jersey, and keep walking. When I grabbed the jersey, he held on, which I thought was awkward, and he just looked at me and goes, you even play like an animal. And I go, thanks, coach. Again, that made me an actor. No idea. Stayed as, uh, as, an, as background. I was just like... I was just, again, having fun. Um, I didn't actually get my full ACTRA uh, membership until I was 27 years old and I was working on a movie called um, Phantom Punch. Oh, sorry, no, the, Rocky Marci the Rocky Marciano story. The Rocky Marciano story. And uh, that's when I realized how amazing being in the union could be and how working in this field is how lucrative it can be and again it's just like all you're doing is playing make-believe as an adult and making a living doing it it's rather sweet i thought it was interesting um how you mentioned you started out as a background actor and how you know it slowly surely progressed to maybe a bigger role on a film um and i believe you were doing some acting work as well as you were doing your boxing you're balancing both at the same time um kind of going back to the subject of your friend connecting you to you know the, the boxer what happened after that was did it take a while for you to actually get a name for yourself and actually get into some games or was it very quick oh boxing um from a, it was just um, due process. I, my my scenario went as such. I started training, really fell in love with it. But like three months, two three months later, I ended up having a a really bad break. Like I broke my leg um, playing basketball, and then uh, I was out for eighteen months, and then I came back, and I had my first fight the day before my 25th birthday and uh 
I ended up losing the fight. And it was, it was rather, it was traumatic for me, but it was, I wasn't hurt or anything. I just ran out of gas. I beat the guy up. I just ran out of gas. I did not know any better. I ended up um, a couple weeks, you know, a couple months after that, I went into a tournament for, it was a novice tournament, novice being under five fights tournament. And then I won that fight, that tournament. Um, I had three fights. I won that tournament. And then I wanted to go to the Olympics. I had no business going to the Olympics. I had no, I, I had no ability, but um, I wanted to go. So I trained how I thought I was being, I needed to train. And I went on to what is known as the open class provincials. And the open class provincials, um, it's, to be open class, you are you have to have over ten fights. I had four. I had to have a petition to allow me to compete in the open class because I had I was so I was so green. Um, in doing so, my if I had known what my first opponent's record was, I don't know if I would have gotten in the ring. Um, he was deceiving. He was he wasn't tall. He had made a huge blunder. He wanted to come in and fight in the weight class called heavyweight, which is in the amateurs at the time. It was uh, under two hundred one, but instead he came in at two eleven. So then he was in my weight class, which, which was the super heavyweight. Now he wasn't a big guy, but apparently he could punch. And I just looked at him like. He was just soft and it was going to be short work. And I made it short work. I stopped him. I stopped him in the first round by, I, I hit him and he went flying through the second and third ropes onto the computer desk. Yeah. <laughs> and at the time, technically I knew nothing. Uh, it was the luckiest punch I've ever, <laughs> I've ever had. I knew nothing. Um, I can't stress that point enough. And uh, yeah, I end up hyperextending both my elbows in less than less than two, well, it was less than two minutes of competition. In less than two minutes of competition, I end up hyperextending both my elbows, and uh, but I got the knockout and went on to the what's it called. The next day, I was going up against a guy who we are now friends, but this guy was, he was something, he was, he was the former, he had gone to the Commonwealth um, Championships. He had been a national champion at that time, three times. He had been a national champion. He has international experience. He had over 130 fights. This was my sixth fight. Yeah, it didn't go well for me. I ended up, I, I ended up losing that by second round, and um, I found out later that I found out later about all his stats. Then that first guy, his stats, he, he was on a thirty-seven fight win streak, thirty-seven fights, thirty-seven, thirty-seven knockouts, and then he met me, and yeah, so. Yeah, Kevin Anderson was his name. 
I think it's very interesting to hear about just your experience. And um, you mentioned uh, the Olympics, and it, I think it's really in- fascinating that you were wanting to try out and at least take that risk um, because, you know, not too many people would want to uh, go right into that. But I still think it's interesting that, you know, it shows a lot about your character. You're wanting to go right into the to the Olympics. Um, and it's, you know, it's too, it's really unfortunate that that really didn't work out for you. Um, one thing I wanted to hear more about, which I don't really know a lot about, is the training that is necessary for what uh, boxing. And you mentioned uh, fighting the next day. So from my understanding, some games can go back to back. And how do you prepare for this? Because you are doing these and you're really tired. How do you rest? How do you practice? Um, in the amateurs, it's it's a completely different beast, especially back in those days. It was a completely different beast than it is um, in the professionals. In the amateur realm, you when you go into a tournament, you could be some like international tournaments, which are huge, um, you may be fighting five days in a row. Um, and you're fighting a different opponent. So in the preparation of an athlete, now one of my things I do for work is I'm an actual boxing coach. And in prepping my athletes for international or for tournaments, they must be you must teach them, you must expose them to a multitude of different styles because you might be fighting a short linebacker, like aggressive guy, or you might be fighting a tall, lanky basketball ish, um, evasive guy. It's two different styles that you'd have to go up against. And it's two different ways to train. Um, the common denominator across the board is your conditioning. You have to make sure that you have, the cardio to last it's paramount it's often overlooked i overlooked it i relied a whole lot on strength and athleticism um and the most but the most important thing is boxing iq and that only comes with years and rounds and rounds and years and years of training and did you have to go through all those years and years and years of training as well? I, I went through, I was an amateur for nine years. Um, I turned pro in 2004 after I qualified to be Canada's representative at the Olympic trials. And um, they, then I was deemed after I won nationals that I was 54 days too old to compete um, in boxing which was absurd. And it's still, to this day, I still think it's, it's nonsense. The, the, the way it was written, mind you, it's just discriminatory anyways, first and foremost, but the way it was written, it was like all athletes must be 17 hyphen 34. Now, the way I read that was you're 34, you're able to compete 34 until you're 35. But apparently, it reads, on your 34th birthday, you may compete. The next day, you're 34 and one day, and you're one day too old. I was 54 days too old to compete in, those, in the 2004 Olympic Games, which drove me insane. 
that's really too uh, that's really too bad that that didn't work out for you oh yeah i'm still a little bitter 18 years later one thing i wanted to ask you about is in your experiences you've wasn't it three-time champion i believe i have that correct or is you you do that i'm the three-time canadian professional champion heavyweight champion yeah what's Uh, been the hardest fight for you if i if you could pick one which one was the hardest and how are you able to overcome the fight uh, my most talented um opponent would have to be a guy by name ty uh ty fields six nine southpaw um i didn't i didn't win the fight he stopped me in three rounds it was it was the second time i second yeah second time i'd actually fought somebody taller than me and i was i was ill prepared and i didn't have the skill set at the time uh to overcome him um i would love to dance with him today but he's long retired um there's a couple of guys uh notable guys i fought um david Cadu was another notable fighter um uh, exceptionally athletic uh relatively i think i think i'm maybe a little bit taller than him but we're like the same height of and uh he was he just weathered the storm and he got the win the first time and then the second time i did not give him that opportunity and i beat him for the canadian title the first time um then oh and then there is uh demetrius the real the the next big thing king that's his name the next big thing king Demetrius king i call him d train guy's five foot eleven i think he fought at 284 pounds he looks like a just like a like a linebacker uh and he we fought twice the first time i sustained arguably my worst knockout that i got knocked out and then in a rematch i put it on him and yeah we're fr- again we're friends today we're for someone who weren't friends at the time wow it listening to you tell these stories it's it's crazy um like what's one valuable lesson that you've you've learned from all the fights you've done that you've applied to your life just in general not even a a lesson that um that can be applied just to boxing but just in your life after that as well never judge a book by its cover the the sport of boxing has absolutely positively unequivocally nothing to do with the way you look has everything to do with what's going on in your gray, gray matter if you have if you have a strategy if you have ability if you understand the sport you sh- you won the fight right now you have these guys who, who have all these pretty big muscles and stuff like that i i teach one of the gyms i teach at is uh, predominantly a bodybuilding gym and my fighters would victimize almost any one of these guys who are huge but 
Yeah, never judge a book by its cover. That is very, very important. And I feel like that will benefit a lot of our listeners. While you were doing boxing, you were also doing, you know, your acting. And I was going to ask, like, but you kind of already explained the transition. Um, and I thought it was fascinating looking through your catalog, um, Phantom Punch. And there was also that other movie that our film that you you mentioned earlier that you were working on. Uh, those involve don't they also involve a little bit of boxing and you were in those was that just a coincidence or were you able to through what you did as a boxer land those roles that's exactly right um the first one was in 97 it was um uh, the rocky marciano story um for those who don't know rocky marciano was a former heavyweight champion but more importantly he is he is a notable champion um, because he has a record that still stands today where he his professional record was 49 fights, 49 wins with 43 knockouts. He didn't lose as a, as a professional and he, he retired with his belt. Now people say, well, Floyd Mayweather surpassed him. Uh, yeah, yeah, no. See, the difference between Floyd Mayweather and uh, Rocky Marciano is that Rocky Marciano did not have any controversial fights. All his wins were his wins. He won those fights. He stopped greats and whatnot. Mayweather has a couple of, like, three controversial fights. Truth be told, even though I'm a fan of Mayweather, I know for a fact that he should have three losses. Um, and uh, the I. The ironic thing was that in that movie, the story goes that Rocky Marciano had four amateur fights and he lost all four. And then he said to himself, if I'm going to lose fights, I might as well get paid for it. So he turned professional and they ended up winning 49 in a row. Now, I was his first... Um, amateur fight my name was Henry Lester all right um, fast forward some nine years I am then doing Phantom Punch another boxing movie and in essence when these boxing movies come to town what they do is they make a call out to all the boxing gyms and they ask for they're looking for different characters that look like X, Y, and Z. So they asked for a big black man. Well, I was the biggest blacks guy going. So I got, I got, I got the nod on that, and I got the nod again on this on the Phantom Punch. And it just so happened that in the Phantom Punch, which was a Sonny Liston story, Sonny Liston was uh, in prison when he started boxing, uh, Missouri State Penitentiary. And the story has it that he goes up and he ends up knocking this one guy out. And the chaplain saw him knock the guy out. So he runs down and, like, uh, just starts giving him a pep talk, telling him how you did an amazing thing there. But, like, in essence, you have a gift. Use it. And it means that you could be rewarded as opposed to getting in trouble. He just punched out a guy. And the prison guard was just off to the side. 
you could have seen it and then he'd have had problems whereas in in the states in the penitentiaries they have a boxing an actual amateur boxing scenario so those but if you were to knock him out in the ring it'd be a completely different story you'd be celebrated now he goes yeah but i don't know if i'm gonna be good he goes well you just you just fought the the missouri state champion and he just knocked out the missouri state champion that was me that was my character and my character his name was big luster henry luster was in phantom punch i mean in rocky marciano story big luster in phantom punch sorry yeah how did those films um one of your most notable films um is uh resident evil and you've talked you've probably talked about that film a lot already um and i want to kind of hear about working on uh this film series i know there was another gentleman who's also playing a, a similar role to you was playing another axe man i believe i'm not sure from so it was you and him um can you tell our listeners you know what it was like working on this film and you know sharing the screen with so many other you know well-known actors um yeah um it was well it was career defining um i really enjoyed it i had um the first time in resident evil 4 after afterlife um that was that was surreal um uh working with the actors and whatnot in that scenario it was just me and i had never been in a studio one of these studios before they're absolutely humongous like positively like it's like four or five city blocks um yeah four or five city blocks um i who was it i forgot the the actor's name but he played not clay he was one of the oh god what was his name even his act he there was a show called sons of anarchy and he was i can't remember his name he was in that one of the guys from sons of anarchy that was in uh resident evil and he walked what would be like three city blocks over just to meet me because i was a canadian heavyweight champion at the time the professional heavyweight champion. uh and he walked over to me and goes, I hear you're the Canadian champ. I said, yes. He goes, pleasure to meet you. I'm like, it's a pleasure to meet me? <laughs> um, well, well, thank you. <laughs> uh, yeah. <laughs> so, no, it was it was absolutely surreal. Um, and then the second time we, we did uh, uh, Resident Evil Retribution, that was that was incredible um and that's the one with my uh uh what you call it <laughs> we we dubbed me um original original axeman and he was uber axeman so that was kevin shan how are your skills from uh how would you say your skills from boxing helped you in the filming of these scenes well, in those scenes, not, not not as much because my objective was to chop people in half. See, as far as I was concerned, the Axeman was misunderstood. See, he was just looking for a little connection and tenderness 
and everybody wanted to run away from him, so he had to chop you in half so you didn't. Um, if they were to actually be a little more friendly to him, they wouldn't have been killed. I suspect. Yeah, it was that role, though. That role was amazing. Like, how heavy was that axe? Well, there's a scene in, um, in uh, Afterlife where I get to the prison gates, and in essence, I'm the like the king of the zombies and i'm swinging the axe for like two minutes straight and then i knock down this fence and then the zombies swarm in now those three axes one was 90 pounds one was 70 and one was 50. the 70 the 90 pounder was the one i'm swinging for two for two minutes because it was it was dense but wow that was a work i bet um, from from Resident Evil, you were in a lot of other more serious films, but one that I watched recently that um, your nephew showed me, uh, Pixels. Um, <laughs> yes, you know, a more comedic production. Um, and one scene, this was a scene that you were in, uh, Josh Gad is yelling at the, at the seals. Um, in this scene, you were in the front row, and he, uh, he walked up to you, and he was talking uh, to you. And I was wondering, involving this scene, how difficult was it for you and even all the other SEALs to keep a straight and serious face throughout this scene? Oh, it didn't happen. It, it just didn't happen. We that Okay, first and foremost, that scene took eight hours to film. And Josh Gad is arguably one. Oh, actually, the whole crew are, are the most talented human beings I've ever worked with. Um, and it's unfortunate that they're underrated because you don't get to see their brilliance. They are, Josh was improvising. If you remember the scene, the president goes off and says that we are going to have these two arcaders speak to you for 120 minutes starting now. And Adam Sandler is walking with Josh and says, okay, you can do this. Josh said, I can't do this. I'm so scared. I'm so scared. He goes, no, no, you can do this. My name is Brenner, and this is your worst nightmare. Okay. From that point on, it was all improvisation. He made it up, and he kept changing it up for eight hours. He was incredible. He was we were blowing snot bubbles, laughing so hard. Like each and every one of us. It was the uh, Christopher Columbus, the director, was getting a little irate because he couldn't get a clean shot on us. Like we weren't. I don't know when they got that scene, that 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 footage of me with a straight face, because I don't remember having a straight face ever with him. That must have been really really hard for you to to be able to be in that position of trying to stay serious while while Josh was uh you know bouncing off these uh statements to you um and after that scene you later on later on you guys also did um that battle yeah were you the one who was eaten by the centipede was that your character yes yeah that, I'm 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 uh, Sergeant Duff Sergeant Duff how did they film that scene with it coming down there was a uh... There was some 300 foot crane and what you call it 
not just that, like I walked in onto the field and like, yeah, see that crane? It's going to be throwing you around. Now, that was justification for me to go home. Um, only to find out that they're just pulling my leg because there was a second crane that they hadn't built yet. And it was only maybe 12 feet in the air. And I'm like, okay, that's a little better. In that overall production of that film, was there anything that um, you might have learned? Because um, I know this film was a very, you know, uh, comedic film, so I don't believe it involved a lot of um, blob, involved a lot of work, as in maybe your other films did. Um, but was there uh, any uh, advice or information or knowledge that was passed on to you through the production of uh, this film? Because you mentioned earlier you worked with a lot of very, very uh, creative people. Uh, I saw what, uh, well, at least how far I, I still needed to go when it came to improvisation. Um, these guys were amazing, like absolutely amazing. Um, Josh Gad is just un, like literally not even the next level, but the next, next, and next level uh, comedian. Um, it was it was a great scenario. We they uh, made us feel super comfortable. The four of us, none of us were anywhere really close to that level yet. So it was it was great. That's really great to hear. Um, you know that you what the the things you learned from Pixels. This is one question that I'm still trying to figure out what played out. Suicide Squad. You, that yes, you you know Suicide Squad. You were you were involved. You were supposed to be involved in this project. I was doing some research, and I know um, your nephew. If you don't know, your nephew was in a DC uh, TV show in, as a background actor, and he was in he was in a he was in Titans, I believe. I think that's what it was called. Uh, but for you, Suicide Squad, you were going to be um, the sh shark, Shark King, I believe, maybe, whatever his name, King Shark, uh, CGI, the motion capture. What happened with this project? This was referring to the first Suicide Squad. James Gunn did a second one with the actual. But can you explain your, involve your involvement in this film? Okay, so first and foremost, I was never going to be King Shark. It was just got out there on the media in the in the internet world that I was King Shark. King Shark was not in the script, and I was asking the stunt coordinator who called me up for the gig. I was like, "What is this about?" I have no idea. It's not it's not in the script. So, who I actually ended up being was there was a guy, um, Diablo, Firehands. Diablo Firehands, his character is, um, he's remorseful because what happens is when he gets really emotional, really angry, that's when he turns into this ball of fire, fire hands thing. And I think he hurt some people and he was really remorseful, did not want to go back to that state. And then Will Smith, okay, so. There's this the, the the common foe, um, Incubus, is coming along and he's destroying all these, he's destroying everybody. So Will Smith talks to him and he's like, "Come on, you gotta do this. You gotta use your powers. You gotta get become fire hands. This thing, next thing." And he goes and tries to fight Incubus. Incubus kicks him, 
He goes sailing into a barbershop through the window and whatnot. And then he's upset. And he turns into Mega Diablo. And this part is all CG'd. I'm Mega Diablo. My word. And that must have been a, a fun project being part, even if it was just a small role, being a part of a DC film. You can you could say that in some ways. It was it was a it was actually a big role, a much bigger role than most people thought. Like uh, we were there for at least I think six days. Um, and that kind of leads to uh, kind of a subject I wanted to talk about. Uh, that's a little bit different than acting, but in some ways it's you know uh, stunt work. You've done a few films. Um, wasn't one XXX? Wasn't that one that you were part of, or that was under IMDb? Um, what exactly does? Because I haven't spoken to anybody who's been involved in stunt work, so I don't know the ins and outs of how, what that looks like. Uh, but what, what's it look like? What's stunt work look like? Stunt work is amazing. Um, it's an opportunity to never grow up. That's it. That's all. You as children want to be a superhero. You fly through the air. You jump. You fall down. You roll. You whatever the case may be. That's what stunt work is. Um, some actors are very delicate, and they don't want to do things. Then the stunt may come in. What has your stunt work looked like from the movies that you've been involved in? For the most part, for me, I'm a big guy, so um, I'm usually getting either beaten up by women or beaten up by Poindexter little guys and making them look so much better. I'm fine with that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean... Nothing wrong with that. No, and it's no, really it's it's really wrong. interesting to hear what that looks like being in that position. I've seen it before. I've seen people uh, be involved with it, and you're being you know thrown around. It looks it looks really fun. Does it take a lot of takes? That's one question. Does it take uh, a lot of takes? It can. It can. Okay. Um, yeah, it can. It was uh, <laughs> there was this one scene in uh, in. Um, Resident Evil Retribution, where Kevin, the other Axeman, and I are chasing after two ladies. They jump. They were chasing after them. They run. One runs on top of the car, and either Kevin and I swing an axe on top of the car and gets stuck. The other one jumps onto the side of the, like, onto the hood of the car, and the second Axeman throws an axe at it, chops it into the windshield and then we have to we the two axemen lift the car up and the girls are standing there and they see the underbelly of the car and they shoot at the gas tank and the car blows up killing both axemen I'm still here, so it's. I wasn't actually killed. This apparently needed to be said. You've been a lot. You've been a part of a, a, a lot of projects. You've done boxing. You've been successful through that. And I wanted to kind of wrap up the interview by uh, bef with before I ask this the question I ask all my guests. Um, but out of all the projects you've been a part of, which one would you say is your favorite, and why? I think it would be Transporter. Transporter still to date is my biggest acting role. It was, um, uh, yeah, it's a TV series, and I had a supporting a supporting role in that. It was, um, it was incredible. It was, it was, it was great to be able to 
show the multiple uh, the multiple characteristics of a, of, of, a, of a person uh, throughout. Like we we were filming for nine days. Um, yeah, I got yeah. <laughs> I got to really sink my teeth into that bar boy. My word. It's really good that you were given that opportunity. Um, and e even if it wasn't a movie, it was a TV show, and you're able to have that role. And as I mentioned, the question I ask all my guests, uh, what is something that you want to pass on to any of the listeners uh, listening right now that they can apply to their everyday mm -hmm. life? As cliche as it may sound, follow your dreams. As I went to, when I left high school, I wanted to be a medical doctor. I started my education and then um, realized that the sports medical doctor wasn't actually where I wanted to be. It, it wasn't it. Now, I make a living out of being a big kid. I play make-believe. I run around and play sports. And that's it. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for coming on the show today to, to share your experience and hopefully uh, you enjoyed it. And I really enjoyed uh, hearing uh, your your life and how you've uh, how you experienced everything from film to uh, to, you know, sports. Uh, but I'll be sure to uh, to leave in the des des description where you can find uh, find Ray and everything that he uh, does. But uh, thank you guys so much for listening. I'm not a man.